somewhere between waking and sleeping, on our journey towards the unfathomable deep, there comes a thin moment where we have one foot in the waking world and the other is in that other world where we relinquish conscious control. Pausing here and straddled between two planets that drive one another like gears, the attentive traveller will notice a narrow door only wide enough to sidle through. This is the border of sleep, where imagination and reality are braided together, a chasm in the crust of consciousness, venting the hot pumice of imagery into the irresistible magma of narrative. Welcome to episode 40 of Stories from the Borders of Sleep, a semi-regular podcast of curious tales from bordersofsleep.com, featuring original stories by your host, Seymour Jacklin. Visit bordersofsleep.com for more information or to leave some feedback. This episode is a first in that it comes with a dedication to two regular listeners, Maria and Ben, who are celebrating their fifth wedding anniversary. In fact, the story has been written with help and inspiration from Ben and is hopefully a surprise for Maria. Congratulations, you two and I'm sure we wish you all the best. The soundtrack for this week's episode is by a Scandinavian harp player called Eric Asgulfmark, and it's available from magnitude.com. So, if you're ready to journey with me, then I shall begin. Rehoming by Seymour Jacklin It was a Wednesday, just after her lunch break, Mary had been outside on the roof where there were some concrete benches and a few sorry planters sparsely inhabited by a colony of plucky alpine plants. It was a bland setting for her to chew through her tasteless sandwiches, but she made herself do it. Even the washed-out November sun was better than the clinical glare of the office lighting. Returning to her desk, she was just unzipping her coat when she overheard the conversation between two office plants atop the filing cabinet that backed onto her workstation, a philodendron with its waxy, heart-shaped leaves and a recently arrived pachira that was not much more than a sprig sporting a cluster of green spearheads. You'll get used to it, Philo was saying. It tastes all bitter. I don't want to get used to it, pachira replied in a shriller voice. Mary paused with her zipper halfway put her hands down on the desk and leant in closer to the plants. That's just the chemicals they have in their ink and paper, said Philo. You stop noticing it after a while. Mary forgot to breathe. Was this really happening? She'd not heard the voice of a plant since she was seven years old. Back then the conversation had flowed freely, but she'd got to pretending it was just her childish and overactive imagination, because nobody would believe her. My roots hurt too, said Pachira. How do you stand it? I know, I know. There's not a lot you can do about that. But whining doesn't help. I just keep hoping, though. You know we can make things happen by hoping. And these humans need us, so we have work to do. Focus on those things. Hope? For what? A little spritz from a spray bottle every morning. Mary sat down slowly and let out a long breath, without taking her eyes off the plants. 
She didn't want to break the spell. Philo was speaking again. Oh no, there's so much more to hope. Don't you feel it in your roots? They want to be home. I grew up in a nursery under glass just like you did, but there were others there who had seen my kind in a different place. A place where we're meant to be. Home. Thousands of us. But they saw terrible things too. Those places are now gone. What do you mean? We could never go home. It's not there anymore. But there is another place. All the bustle of whirring printers and ringing phones in the office suddenly seemed to be scrunched together and thrown down a long chute as Mary's ears tuned into the plant conversation. What she heard next completely sabotaged the rest of the afternoon as far as getting any busy work done was concerned. She couldn't wait to get back home and see her own dear plants. She was awake, as if from a long sleep. While the cross-cut world of paper piles and glowing screens clung to the edges of her mind, it seemed more like a dream. In her mind, a great tropical forest had sprung up, echoing with the calls and flickering with the darting forms of colourful birds. A honeyed air rose from the forest floor, recently stirred by rainfall and sweating its essence into the atmosphere. On getting home, she headed straight for the conservatory, as soon as she'd got her coat off. She'd brought in some of the more sensitive plants as soon as the cold weather had started to set in. She just wanted to sit with them and listen. If it was true what Philo had said, at least some of them would know the story. The sum of it was that every plant in the world that finds itself a long way from its native home begins to feel an itching in its roots. The first thing it notices is the flavour of the soil. As it raises its leaves it hears the birdsong, some tones that are even unhearable to humans. It seems the birds speak in foreign tongues, and the taste of that is unfamiliar too. In their rightful home all plants are nourished by the sounds around them, subtly but essentially. Like the water and sunlight they need to live, the birdsong they need to thrive with all the life that can be in them. And so the rumour grows, this is not home, but we must go there. Then it has passed from species to species and old to young, that home can ever only be imagined. A human once said that a person can never step in the same river twice, for it's not the same river and they're not the same person. Too much changes. Native homes are destroyed, species mutate, and are interbred. What hope is there then for their itching roots? Then they tell of a garden somewhere. One garden, for all wandering plants, one home. There every root can wiggle itself down snugly at rest. In this wonderful place the noise of running and falling water thrills through the spectrum of sound as if every bird song can be heard all at once. All may thrive there at once and together, with all the life they can hold in their pillowy cells. So there is a secret migration underfoot. So there is a secret migration afoot under our noses. Wandering plants feel forward with their roots. They hope with every seed they drop to get a little closer to that garden. Mayhap their offspring's offspring's offspring 
may land there one day. Mary sat as the dusk crept out of the shadows. Her shadow merged with the shadows of the fronds surrounding her, and she fell into a reverie in which she was a tree. She was not fixed to the spot, but she felt the motion of her species, through all her ancestors and all her progeny. Her roots felt like they knew where to go, in such a direction. That way, there, lay a garden that was calling her. A clatter in the next room announced that Blythe was back from work, keys clinking onto the kitchen worktop, the wump of the refrigerator opening. Hello, he called. The next morning, Blythe was silhouetted in the kitchen window against the white morning sun like a descending messenger of light. This must be a scam, he said. Mary just waited. She knew he wanted her to ask, what? Incredible, he muttered. What? said Mary. I've got this letter claiming to be from a probate solicitor. They supposedly hunted me down because of some unclaimed estate to which I'm entitled. Blah, 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 blah. Sounds like a scam. Where is it? Who died? But they don't say, and it looks tenuous. I knew this branch of the family existed, but it was too distant to have any contact. Grandfather knew some of them vaguely. Probably nothing. He laid the letter down and picked up his coffee as if that was the end of the matter, but his eyes kept wandering back to it. Mary passed her day on autopilot. The plants overlooking her desk were silent. If anything, there was a conspiracy to make her doubt herself, but she resisted. She took her sandwiches out on the roof again. It was still colder, and the sea of concrete below her, grey and white, looked like the workings of a giant refrigerator. She felt her roots yearning to grow through the cracks and split this world open, as if there was something on the other side that would rush in like water from a burst dam and push out the stale air in monotonous pallor. She looked at the tight bundles of low cover with their tiny leaves staked out in the rooftop planters and spoke tenderly to them. You're trying to make your way home too, she said. Funny sort of mountain you've ended up climbing. The wand of a tiny sapling had poked itself into the corner of a planter, a self-seeded visitor, perhaps blown in on the wind. Hey, traveller, you're your own walking stick, she chuckled. Bon voyage. After lunch there was a meeting in which she doodled up the corner of her notepad with vines. Their quiet strength pulled at the flimsy paper. She gave them heart-shaped leaves. Where's my heart, she thought. Not here. The thought seemed a little bit exciting and a little bit threatening. This job is not the arrival point of my life. While it was a relief to admit it, she didn't see anything else paying the bills, this year at least. When Mary got home, Blythe was restless and brooding. He was rinsing spuds and picking the eyes out of them. What's up? she asked. I'll just get these on, then I'll tell you, he said. Mary sat at the kitchen table and worked her way listlessly through the junk mail they usually dumped straight into the recycle bin. It was like a programme she was still running from her working day. Triage the mail, filter out the action items, apply to this, cancel that. She felt a little afraid that the thought that had ambushed her in the office would disrupt her again. But she wasn't quite ready to entertain hope, only to defer it again. Blythe brought two glasses of wine over and sat down across from her. 
This is nice. What's the occasion? she asked. I had someone at work look at the letter about the inheritance, he began. She said I should definitely call them, so I did. Mary waited. Everything seems legitimate. Mary heard a noise in her head like a flock of parrots scattering from a treetop. Saw a fluttering cascade of coloured shapes up there. It was like a flashback. Just for a moment, it took her words away. So she sipped her wine and made her eyes tell Blythe to carry on. There's four acres, some buildings. The details were sketchy, but it's going to be ours. After the paperwork, he added. Blythe had done a lot more thinking about it all through the day, so he was serious. Mary felt like an overpoured glass of champagne. Where is it? she asked. On the edge of the new forest, about two hours away. We can go and look this weekend, if you like. Mary wanted to burst. That's how they came to be riding west through the South Downs on the high road between Petersfield and Winchester one bright November morning. Clumps of beach, freshly stripped of leaves, stood out against the watery sky like woodcut prints. The first heavy frost of the year etched the sweeping striations of the fields below them, swirling in great punch bowls between the downs. This is the road home, thought Mary. They could see the landscape marked by sarum stones and ancient burial mounds, Way markers of human migration, all tending in their direction. Soon the chalky downs gave way to flatter, sandier soils, and they started to see the fragmented outposts of once great oak woodland standing in heaths of frosted heather and brown bracken. Blythe turned off down a farm track that had no signpost. They could have been anywhere. Out of sight of the road, the track dissolved on a sward of turf surrounded on three sides with brambles, broken only with a gap between two stone gateposts. The gates lay rusting against the hedgerows. He stopped the car. Mary looked through that gap and thought she could make out the side of a building, but they might have to hack their way through. They climbed out and stood close together with their breath coming out in puffs of cloud. Wow, said Blythe. Mary took her glove off and slipped her hand into his pocket where his hand was cupped and warm. I don't know what to expect, he said. It could be disappointing. Mary didn't think so. She wanted to fall on her knees and grab clods of the turf and put them to her nose, remind herself what real smelled like. They pushed through the brambles up the remains of a path. Mary spotted rhododendrons clinging underneath the growth broken lines of cobblestones embedded in the soil, making old borders, a rose gone wild, barely distinguishable from the thorny, purple trailers of blackberry bush. The house was once white on the outside, now greened with the patina of moss and ivy. Unusual. From the front it looked like a bungalow with mid-century lightfoot-style windows, just rusting black horizontal bars between the panes. A wooden stair led to a deck that ran right around the building in a colonial fashion, overhung by the roof. At the back of the house, the land fell away enough for a lower level to be featured. The door had been green, now striated with the lines of peeling paint. It opened easily, bringing them into a hallway with a wooden floor that smelled of forest leaf mould and dust. Nature had thrust her way in between the floorboards, where a few tree suckers had crept up and reached as high as they could for the light, but the walls were good and solid. 
that seemed to have been abandoned and untouched. They creaked from room to room in reverent silence, directed by shafts of light that came through the windows. The main living room seemed to be at the back of the house, looking down the slope. The best of the sunlight was coming in here, and there were pictures still on the walls. Mary broke the silence. Look at this! Again, she found herself hardly daring to breathe. There's something in here you should see too, Blythe called from a side room. Mary was rooted to the spot in front of the painting. Despite all the decay, it seemed fresh as if it had been hung yesterday. It showed the interior of a greenhouse, so vivid and full of depth that it was almost like a window or trompe l'oeil. Blue and white porcelain pots held leafy plants either side of a wicker chair. A golden cat like a tiger cub had curled up on a cushion and dozed off. But there was something disturbingly familiar here. Mary stepped close as if she could step right into the scene. Have we met before? She asked the picture. It was the plants. On the left and right. Bigger, but oh, so distinct. A philodendron, abounding in waxy heart-shaped leaves all the way up its height, and a pachira with proud orangey trunk sporting bursts of splayed green spearheads like parasols. Blythe came and stood behind her. I think my relative might have been a painter, he said. This looks like a place you'd like to be. He nodded at the picture. Oh, Mary didn't know quite where to start. Those two plants look identical to the ones above my desk at work, she said. She resolved to tell him about the conversation later. They'd have to debrief on the way home and she needed to come around from the right angle to explain why there was no doubt in her mind that they needed to work out how to make a fresh start here. Do you think it's a sign? he asked. I do, she said. He took her hand and turned her to face him, then looked solemnly into her eyes and said, I do. She looked back into him through his eyes, suddenly so grateful for feeling properly known. He was amused but absolutely sincere. Well, aren't you going to kiss the bride? she asked. He kissed her. Then he pulled her into the other room. Here another picture of another room looked down at them. The eye was drawn first to the portrait within the picture. Her eyes glistened with life and seemed to be looking straight at them. A cow. She was sitting in state and swathed in royal red with a diadem of flowers between her ears, hooves comfortably folded in front of her. In the foreground, depicted underneath the portrait, the long necks of two giraffes stretched out from a flower pot with a little greenery in there for comfort. Their long, lashed eyes looked about them with youthful curiosity, and a single butterfly was about to alight on one of their noses. Wow, said Mary. She couldn't help wondering how long it might be before those little giraffes were going to be big enough to be pulled out of their growing pot and explore the world on their wobbly legs. It was as if another planet had joined the swirling solar system in her head and locked into orbit. The office plants the mythical garden, the strange house, the other painting, wheels in a clock that seemed to be turning inexorably towards something, 
I'm going to poke around a bit more at the structure, said Blythe, just see how fallen apart this place is or not. Mary passed back through the living room and pushed through the French doors onto the deck. The wooden steps to the old garden were held together with ivy, but took her weight without complaining. Again, on this side, the remains of cultivated space hinted underneath the overgrowth. A gravelled path led down the slope and disappeared, as if there was a more sudden drop. She could see that woodland began at what was probably the bottom of the garden. The air was very, very still, as if the whole world waited. In a furtive movement from the edge of her vision, a squirrel bounded onto the path in front of her. It wasn't one of those chubby grey ones, it was a red squirrel, straight out of a storybook. Unusual, very unusual. It faced her and flattened itself on the ground suddenly, looking up at her. Mary could see every fibre of its fur, and caught a look in its eyes she'd seen before in animals. Not for the first time that day, she felt known. Hey, she said. The squirrel turned and sprang down the path a couple of bounds, and then turned to see if she was following, as if it wanted to show her something. Okay, little one, she said, and stepped after it. In the same way, it stayed a few steps ahead of her, right down the path, down a couple of steps, onto a lower slope where the path forked. Straight ahead led straight out into the woodland, but the squirrel took her left, where a bank of hawthorn hid the house from view, and then closed over the top of the path, making a tunnel. When she came out from it on the other side, the squirrel was looking at her from the roof of an old greenhouse that was sheltered against a crumbling brick wall. Against the autumn brown surroundings, the structure was crammed with green like a terrarium. Inside, a grapevine had gone wild, twisted back and forth against the glass, gripping every protruding surface so that it had made itself integral to the structure. Although they were plastered with dead leaves, she immediately recognised the blue and white pots, and sure enough, the wicker chair with an exploded cushion. The pots stood empty. The air in there was several degrees warmer and smelt of the sweet essence of her tropical forest floor. She felt something might happen if she sat in the chair and looked out from that angle towards the spot from where the picture was painted. She half expected to see herself staring back and holding her breath as she'd done looking at it hanging on the living room wall. She sat down, closed her eyes and let the glass-warm sunlight come down onto her eyelids. Five days ago she would never have imagined herself here. But now she was in the grip of some sort of riptide. The planets turned in her mind, approaching conjunction. Darts of parrot colour above her met and resolved, and she found herself looking into the benevolent eyes of a cow in royal robes. The cow seemed to speak through her eyes straight into Mary's soul without moving her mouth, but it was a warm, rolling voice she heard. Mary. Mary, medicine woman. How do you feel? I feel at home, Mary whispered. Your home, my home, and everybody else's, said the cow. Yes, said Mary. Look after my children, won't you, said the cow. I will, said Mary. She imagined her hands reaching in and gently loosening the giraffes from their pot. Click, 
the planets aligned. The tide turned and began to flow back, uncovering a land that would never be the same. She knew that she sat at the very centre of the garden of hope that was yet to be grown. Here, a home for all the travelling species making their way. Here. Nearly a month later, Mary had worked out her notice in her job, and Blythe had figured out how to relocate and downsize. Mary cleared her desk. The usual rituals of leaving cake and cards was done, and people were starting to check out, wishing her well. She was taking nothing with her from this place. Well, almost. As she walked across the car park without looking back once, Philo under one arm and Petura under the other cast their shadows in the streetlight, indistinguishable from her own. She looked like a walking tree.